Hello and welcome to the Big League Show. As always, I'm Connor Somerville, joined by Aiden Silifant. And today, we are not live on Spirit Live due to some technical issues on Spirit Live's front, but instead, you're getting the recorded Zoom calls that are broken up by 40 minutes every time. The ideal episodes. But what that means is, well, we were going to have them on either way, but what that means is we get to go potentially a little bit more in depth and go for a bit longer with our guest today, Mr. Luke Burroughs. Luke, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you for no coming. Problem. I'm excited to talk to you. And you've done some interesting things that are a little different than uh, some of the other people in our program <laughs> we've had on. So I'm excited to sort of get into that. But Aiden, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, it's been a pretty stressful couple of weeks, you know, midterms. Uh, Connor and I had our production yesterday, went well. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's a weird time now because really the only sport going on is, is NFL. MLB just finished last night. Um, I'm insulted. Big four sport I'm, going on. Big four sport going on. Um, no, so, you no. know, it's a little bit of the off season now for sports, but yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Connor. Can't complain. Yeah, well, I'm not doing so good after that comment, mister. Um, But I guess we should sort of dive just straight into Luke and everything about you. And I think we'll start with a question that we start asking every one of our guests when we have them on. And that is, what is your first memory of sports? And what is your first memory of sport media? Wow. Um, That's a really good question. First memory of sports... Um, I, I think I'd have to say, uh, though I'm not, I'm not the biggest basketball fan. Uh, I was maybe four or five and, um, I'm like, I'm not from Toronto. I'm from about three hours North of Toronto. So coming to Toronto was a big deal. And well, we went to a Raptors game and I was, I was very, very young, but I just, I, I think it was, it might've been like the first time I was ever in, uh, in, in a setting like that. And I just remember how exciting it was. Uh, I couldn't tell you the year. I couldn't tell you the season. I couldn't tell you who was on the team. I remember, um, I got a little purple dinosaur plushie. Uh, but I, I think that have to be it. That, that was maybe 2003 ish. Um, my wow. first memory of sport media, I think would have to be, um, Maybe in high school. I mean, if you're asking like the first kind of taste I had of it, probably high school, uh, grade nine or 10, I would have been writing for um, writing for both my school paper and another school nearby. And just uh, nothing special, just game reports of, I think, soccer and basketball games. Um, that's probably that's probably the first time I ever really, really kind of touched it at all. And even at that point, I wasn't I wasn't I never would have kind of guessed that I'd be actually in the sport media industry, you know, post-secondary, but yeah, probably, probably grade nine or 10 for, for that. I think. What do you about, think got you in, or Connor, you want to, you have a follow-up? You, you can go. I, I have gonna, a different question. I was going to ask him, what is his first memory of consuming sport media? Not necessarily yeah, yeah. being in the industry. I think I would say my first memory of just, you know, taking in any kind of sport media would have been, um, around the same time of whenever that Raptors game was again, really little, uh, just sitting in my, in my living room with my brother and my dad. And before either my brother and I got into the NHL, 
uh, and watching Boston Bruins games because that's when, um, that's when my, that's the team my dad would put on and he's not huge on hockey. Um, I think he's a, he's a Bobby Orr fan more than anything, but uh, I just know if we were, if we were watching a Boston Bruins game, it would have been, it would have been a long time ago and I couldn't, I couldn't name a player that was on the ice. Uh, but I just, I just remember it was more of a, more of a, you know, like an experience thing, just hanging out with my brother and my dad watching hockey uh, in our living room. So I, I think that's probably the first time that I ever kind of, you know, consciously took in a, a, a sporting event. So you watched a lot of Bruins growing up, it sounds like. And that's, so and, and you turned you... into a, a Canucks. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, well, it's, <laughs> that's kind of funny because my, like neither of my parents are, you know, like religious sports fans, right? Like that, that have a team and like they live or die by. Um, my mom is a Leafs fan. Uh, she grew up near Toronto and it just kind of happened that way. Dad's a Bruins fan. Um, and my brother, uh, who's a few years older than me, he grew up a Senators fan and me being younger than him. I just, you know, when I was that age, I just, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to cheer for the same team my parents were cheering for. Cause I just didn't like that. Uh, so I, I chose the Senators with my brother. Um, I, I was maybe, you know, five or six. And then, uh, <laughs> I, I think it was free agency, 2008. Eight, I could be wrong, but Wade Redden, uh, who's my favorite <laughs> senator, I don't know why Wade Redden uh, left the team, and I was just I was so upset. However old I was, like eight years old or whatever, I was so upset that I I said I wasn't a Senators fan anymore, and I became uh, a Canucks fan because I think only because of Alex Burrows, who I thought it was pretty cool. He had the same oh, last okay. name. I as just me. pulled up his hockey DP page to see when he joined the Vancouver Canucks because <laughs> yeah. I knew this was related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that would have been 05, 06 was his first yeah. year with the Canucks. That's hilarious. Wow. And that's funny how Burroughs later in, in his career went back to the <laughs> went Senators. Back, went to Ottawa, yeah. <laughs> uh, I on, like when that happened, I was kind of, yeah, it's kind of ironic. I, I like to see that though. Cause I've, I always have been, I've stayed a Senators fan um, sort of secretly all these years. And I, the senator they're just a very nostalgic team for me uh their old jerseys which you now they've brought back i i love that those jerseys um you know just daniel offertson is still one of my favorite players probably ever um i remember their run in 2006 7 or whatever against anaheim i remember listening to that on the radio when we were up at the cottage i i remember i think game three or game five Alfredson kicked in a goal or there's some controversy about Alfredson kicking in a goal and I just remember that so vividly um so as a Canucks fan I do have probably an unusual amount of Senators memories stored away somewhere that's interesting I can't get over the fact that you're a Canucks fan when your dad's a Bruins fan, like, how do you not have fist yeah, that, fights? That 2011 season? series must have the, been interesting. Yeah. yeah, like the thing, the thing with my dad, I I don't know why he's a he's a Bruins fan. Um, that's just kind of what I grew up knowing. He likes the Bruins. Again, uh, I guess he he grew up watching Bobby Orr. I I don't know. Um, right now, if I you know in 2020, if I asked him name some of the Bruins players, I think he'd know Chara. That's probably he's, it. He's and he's not, not even, even a Bruins on the team. player anymore. So, well, yeah. <laughs> so, 
same same thing with my mom like she says she's a Leafs fan and when the Leafs are out of the playoffs she's upset but no like she'd probably know better she could name a few other uh, a few other big guys but but other than that um like I think for a lot of people it's it's your parents that you kind of you receive you know whatever fandom they're into but I think for me a lot of it was my brother um and his senators thing so up until up until they traded my favorite player Wade Redden uh, I was right there with them, and then I decided to go my own way. Why didn't you follow Wade Redden? Well, here's the thing: like, I don't know, but I also don't know why I liked him. Um, <laughs> I I grew up playing a lot of um, NHL, like EA NHL, yeah, yeah. on our big clunky PC we had. Uh, I think the first game I no, I was born in '99, so obviously I didn't play. Uh, NHL 99 when it came out but I remember playing NHL 99 NHL 2000 2004 2007 and I think I just I didn't know really what I was playing I didn't know that like all these people were real but I grew attached to you know Wade Redden in NHL 2004 when I was four or five years old I just thought it was so cool maybe he played a good season for me and it just went from there so growing up when I didn't really understand you know what like what actually the nhl was uh playing video games and stuff kind of filled in that hole and then when i turned an age that i actually realized what was going on i think that's when i kind of made the decision vancouver um it's actually funny on free agency day uh 2008 i think again 2008 when redden left um we were in ottawa for canada day and the the way I found out was we were walking down the street, I don't know if the first or second of July, and I saw a newspaper that on the front page, it was, this is such a, it sounds like a story, but um, on the front page, Wade Redden leaves the senators and I, I was just so distraught and I probably spent 60 seconds oh deciding like, you know what, not a Sens fan, I'm picking a new team and it I don't know, just went from there. I don't know why I... I don't know why I didn't want to follow him. Uh, that was that was I, on July first. You saw that newspaper on July first. Something think? like that. I it was that Ottawa trip for us, wow. which was a. Uh, right they got that paper then. out fast then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, first or second, something like that. But I think another part of it was I I wanted to cheer for a Canadian team. Um, I would yeah. never I'd never want to cheer for for an American team. I I don't know why I kind of thought that growing up, but I did. So it went from there. Aiden, did you ever have any sort of similar situations where you questioned your allegiance? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, you know me. I, I wasn't a Leafs fan really up until I would say th- probably the year they got Babcock. Then I became a really big Leafs fan. Like I was always a Leafs fan, but they weren't my number one team. I was a Penguins fan growing up. Um, 2008, I started liking the Penguins. So you can say I'm a bandwagon fan, but technically they hadn't won a cup at that point. They lost to the Red Wings in the final. Um, and then I think, yeah, you're right. It was, it was the trade deadline. I don't know what year it was, but Rick Nash's name was being thrown around and, uh, he spent his whole career on Columbus and there was rumors about him getting traded to the Rangers. And I was just like, Oh no, the Penguins are in trouble. If, if Nash goes to the Rangers, I'm probably going to cheer for the Rangers now. Uh, but they didn't get, they didn't get Nash at that trade deadline. They got him like the following off season. But um, I decided to to stay with the Penguins, and they went on to win back-to-back cups. But, I mean, Leafs are always number one. Like, if the Penguins and Leafs were to play in the in the playoffs, like, Leafs come over the Penguins. Um, yeah, what about you, Connor? Do you question your allegiance with the Leafs? 
definitely not with the Leafs. I've been a Leafs fan since day one. I can physically remember watching that shootout between the Devils Islanders. I think it was Devils Islanders in like 2009 at my aunt's house. Uh, I was like the only one watching. And it was the shootout that decided whether or not the Leafs would make the playoffs and physically crying after that because I was so upset. Um, But the one time I was just unbelievably angry that one of my teams got rid of a player was TFC. When they got rid of Dwayne De Rosario, I was uh, so yeah. unbelievably mad. And neither of you know who that is, which no, I know who that is. Justified, um, but yeah, I was I was a mad human being that night. Um, but I've been pretty loyal, I think, so far. And I think we should sort of touch a bit more on Luke and in terms of his, I guess, upbringing in a way, because one of the big sort of I guess jobs, I don't know if it was a job or more volunteering, but you were a student trustee for your school district. Oh, yeah. So what was that about and what did that sort of entail? Um, so what that is, um, so did you guys, you guys both went to high school in Ontario? Yes. I assume. Yeah. So each school board in Ontario, um, both Catholic and public, has a number of student trustees. Uh, so I was in I was in Blue Water District School Board up uh, sort of on the Bruce Peninsula around Owen Sound. And the student trustee system essentially, uh, it's one to two uh, trustees from each board and they get elected um, from what's called the Student Senate. Uh, so each school, at least in, in my school board, how it worked is each school had a student senator that was elected from within their school to serve on the student senate, which was sort of the direct connection to the actual official school board. Uh, And then from that student senate, um, again, one to two, uh, I think sometimes some boards had three, but mostly one to two senators were elected um, from within the senate to become student trustees. And those student trustees actually sat uh, at the board table, um, didn't have a vote in anything. uh, they'd, they'd go to conferences throughout the year with the with the Ontario Student Trustees Association, uh, which obviously is all the student trustees built up together uh, throughout the province. Um, but it, it was a it was a really interesting experience. I've I've never really been one for politics in any in any shape or form. Um, I'd say I, I more so am now, and maybe I kind of owe it to that. But essentially, what it was is is you know you're you two parts. You're sort of the liaison between uh, your school and the student senate uh so that's that's where you make that connection and you know voice any any issues that your own school has your students in your school and then from the student senate the one or two student trustees is the voice on the school board where uh you 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 attend the board meetings and you're you're directly involved with what with what goes on there so yeah uh i i don't really know how i got into that. I think I just saw the the opportunity in grade 11, it would have been uh, the end of grade 11, you know, like the, our school needs a student senator, uh, you can run for it here. And I just, yeah, I kind of, it kind of went from there. It, sort of unexpected, I guess. Uh, I never would have saw myself jump into a position like that, but I'm, I'm pretty glad I did. So you get volunteer hours for that. <laughs> You get paid, actually. Oh, you get paid. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit better than volunteer. Yeah. Just a little bit. Wow, 
That's pretty nice. <laughs> um, I, I, huh. I've, I can't believe this school has paid you to do that. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a bit surprising. So like, can I ask wh- which school boards were you guys a part of? Uh, for elementary school, I was a part of TDSB, but I went to a private school for middle and high school. Okay. I was at In- Halton District School Board. Okay. So I, I, um, I'll ask you guys later because I, I probably know, I probably have a connection to, um, to the student trustees in your school. Uh, I, I think TDSB, there's a, there's a chance. And I also, I'm not sure if it was Halton or Halton Catholic, but yeah, it's, it, was a, it was really cool because um, where I was from, I, I was like a very rural area and I didn't really get to, get to meet a lot of other students from all over the province. And I guess a lot of people maybe don't get that experience, but that kind of gave me that opportunity. And I, you know, I, I still have people I met and friends that I, I met during that time and I still talk to them today. So it was, it was really cool. Nice. That's like a really interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're the only one I, I've known that has done that too. I, I've never well, heard of that. Yeah. A lot, like a lot of people don't, and I hadn't either before I did it. Um, right. And that was kind of a big issue that we would talk about at conferences is no one really knows that this exists. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I don't know, after, after I left, after my grade 12 year, uh, I can't say I really stayed involved. So I don't know if I, if I went back to my high school now and asked, like, do you guys know that you have a student senator? I, I'd hope they would, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. So, Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, I'm going to assume this wasn't a thing in elementary school because I don't, I don't think, think you want so. Twelve-year-olds making yeah. those sort of decisions, like getting paid, getting <laughs> paid too. Um, but yeah, it's very. It's a really interesting, I guess. Sort of, I I guess you could call it, call it a phase in your life. Sort of something that you had never done before. Yeah. How do you yeah, think? For sure. How do you think that sort of helped you in pursuing sport media and deciding on sport media because you had a bit of a stopgap between. Ryerson and graduating. So that, that's a really good point. And my answer is kind of uh, not really maybe what you'd expect. So with these, with that position, we, like I said, we'd go to a lot of conferences. Um, And I spent a few weekends in my grade 12 year, right downtown Toronto. And it's, you know, it's not like I'd never been to Toronto before. Um, Like I I did a lot of traveling growing up, uh, but actually living in a city uh, I, you know, by myself too, I never really did. So it was, it was only a few weekends, but from, from where I'm from, like I grew up, um, in a town of 500, my graduating class in grade 12 was only 16 people. So, um, I didn't, I didn't really have any big city experiences. The closest city to me was Owen Sound. And even that isn't very big. Um, so thinking about where I wanted to go to university, uh, by grade 11, 10, 11, 12, I knew sport media existed, the program here, and I, and I knew I was interested. But like, if I'm being honest, living in downtown Toronto was intimidating to me. So um, I, I think, and, and aside from, you know, maybe like the business aspect and, you know, the, the student trustee program, it definitely gave me some experiences in maturity and stuff. But a big part of it was just spending time uh, by myself in downtown Toronto. Um, so after high school, uh, I went to Laurier for a year and that, that was even better because before coming to Ryerson, um, I kind of had that, that buffer point in Waterloo, definitely a bigger city than where I grew up, but not like Toronto. So it was, 
that was definitely good as well. But, um, you know, now that you mentioned that, like, how did that affect your, your route to sport media? Uh, probably more than I would have considered before. Um, I never really thought about that, but I think getting that exposure to, to all these different experiences and all these different people, uh, like a, a lot of people, it, it was very politics heavy. So a lot of people were interested in politics and business, but a lot of very interesting people were, were a part of the, the, uh, the Ontario Student Trustees Association. So it, it kind of expanded from my very small town perspective to, you know, eventually getting me to Toronto. Yeah, and I, think, I guess you did put it really well. And Laurier was a bit of a stopgap for you. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a... In the a, middle. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It was like a good introduction to how living in a sizable city yeah. is to transition to Toronto, which I've lived here for my entire life, and I'm still intimidated by downtown. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's necessarily uncommon for people like, yeah. looking at sport media and looking at Ryerson thinking... I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to live in downtown. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like a very different university experience. Um, like, you know, after going to Laurier for a year and then like that, that is such a typical university campus. It's just, it is as, as a def- and default in a good way, but as default as you can really get uh, when it comes to university in Ontario. And that was, that was nice to have and, you know, having that experience and then making the decision was to, to come to a very unusual, you know, commuter school right downtown Toronto, that kind of thing. Um, there were some not necessarily tough decisions to make, but definitely ones that, you know, you kind of consider what kind of university experience are you going to have from this? Yeah, it is definitely, definitely unique going to Ryerson <laughs> at Young and Dundas yeah. uh, being legitimately probably the heart of the city. Yeah. I don't know if there'd be another spot in the city that you could call the heart of it. Um, but yeah, let's sort of talk about your Laurier experience a little mm-hmm. bit more because I'm interested about uh, your writing with the court. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that was student affiliated uh, like or school affiliated, but what was that sort of like and how did that sort of push you to potentially consider swapping from Laurier to Toronto? Yeah, so that, that was a really, um, that was a really cool experience. And um, it, it was very different and you guys would know it's very different, uh, like the, the, the writing for the eye opener and that, that would be the equivalent. The chord would be equal to the eye opener here at Ryerson writing for the eye opener. It's, it's a very popular, um, thing to do. And, you know, and you, you don't always get stories and there's a lot of, um, there's a d- lot of demand for writers, but when I was at Laurier and I think I started, wanting to write uh november december that year i didn't write my first article actually i have it right here um (laughs) until january 10th of that year and it was actually a men's hockey game against ryerson um (laughs) i didn't write my first article until january but uh it was the thing is is they didn't have anyone to write for them um their newspaper it's a it's a great newspaper and their other uh, there are other sections like their news and arts and life stuff, super popular um, and, you know, really, really healthy writing base. But sports, uh, a lot of games just went uncovered. No one really wrote about things. I think their their basketball program was probably the most popular. So they got quite a bit of coverage. But um, I was maybe one of two, I think, people that was writing for uh, their men's hockey team. 
So it was, uh, it was a really cool experience because all they really do is they say, here's your media pass. Uh, they give you the address to the rink. And I, and it, all, I did all my writing in the winter. And I just remember walking across um, Waterloo Park late at night, uh, you know, just on my way back from a game thinking about how am I going to write this? Because I, I wasn't in any classes uh, about sport media or journalism. I, I didn't have any, I wrote for my high school newspaper, but that was, you know, nothing special by that point. Um, so it was a very, uh, it was a very, again, intimidating experience because you'd, you'd still, you'd sit and watch the game and then you'd go down and you'd just have to, you'd have to, I'd literally go to the, the dressing room door and just kind of wait awkwardly outside until uh, someone walked by and I asked for the coach or the coach came out or something. And I just, I did an interview there without having any experience on how to do interviews. Um, I, I had one guy that, that kind of taught me some basic tips, but it was a lot of it was just kind of figuring out by myself. And by the end of it, um, I didn't, I didn't do that many games. I think I maybe six ish, uh, because obviously I was only writing for one semester. Um, but by the end of it, I kind of felt like I had a grasp. And by that point, I also knew I was, um, I was coming to Ryerson for the next year. And that's, I think the biggest reason why I like, right when I got to Ryerson, I, I kind of, put my got myself into the eye opener um and that's been a really cool experience to have and i think i definitely wouldn't have done that without even that you know that half semester at laurier so what have you done specifically for the eye opener i saw some articles on there from you but also in your twitter bio you have graphic uh designer so yeah. can you dive into that a little bit so i haven't written for the eye opener since first year um i i don't know how many games i did i did a few men's and women's hockey games but um uh so i did that in first year and then this year just recently uh since the beginning of the year i guess um i've been doing graphics with uh with a few other people actually in uh, in our year but i've been doing graphics for the eye openers twitter page uh, no eye opener sports twitter page um which i believe is the is new this year created by um the new sports editor. So that's, that's been pretty cool. Um, I've kind of last year I took a, I took a sport graphics class. Um, and, uh, I, I always knew I liked graphics, but I never, you know, I never knew I liked it enough to, to buy Photoshop or anything, but you know, I finally made the decision. I've been kind of doing stuff like that ever since. And yeah, the, the doing it for the eye opener is just sort of another, another step there. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I like, um, it's, it's nice doing it, you know, for a purpose with the, with the school. It's been, it's been a cool experience. What do you think yeah. you like better now writing or doing the graphics? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think graphics are more, and you know, for, for lack of a better word, they're more fun. Yeah. Enjoyable. But yeah. Writing, um, it's almost more rewarding. I find writing and I've always been writing, you know, through high school and my early years of university has always been kind of my go-to when people ask, you know, what aspect of the industry do you like? And that's definitely expanded now, but um, I've always liked to write uh, lately. Well, I guess not lately because I haven't, I've kind of stopped writing altogether for a while, but lately I've, I was doing more um, long feature writing and I, I really like that because that's, you know, it's a lot on your own accord and you're doing a lot of the research and, 
and it's just totally up to you what what gets produced. So um, I don't know. I don't know which I'd like better. Both definitely have uh, positive aspects to them. And quickly before we take a quick break, um, let's jump back to that decision to move from Laurier to Ryerson. What was that entire process like for you? Was it difficult? Um, just maybe give us an idea of how that entire process sort of figured itself out. Yeah, um, it was really hard. Uh, I, I went to Laurier and I had a, I, I loved it. Uh, I had a great group of friends. Um, my, my residence experience was awesome. And by about November-ish, I kind of thought the program isn't really what I want. The university experience was great. Laurier is an awesome university. Um, but I kind of had to make a decision, you know, for my, for the, for the better of my, my education and kind of what I'm actually here to do. I'm not sure if communication study at Laurier is the way to go. So I think it was late November. I, I committed and I, I applied to Ryerson and I'm kind of figured like, yeah, if I get in, uh, I'm going to go. So it was, it was super tough. Um, even, even like day to day things. Cause that was right around the time. Because in a city like that, you have to find the following year's accommodations like 10 months in advance just because it's a student town. So all my friends were finding places to live. And I just had to say, like, I can't because, you know, I, I might knock it into Ryerson, but I can't. Uh, I just have to wait and see. So thank goodness I did. I don't know what I would have done if I was there for another year. But um, it, it was really tough because I, I loved it there. And I knew I would have had an awesome four years, but I... Um, I just kind of figured like I, I should do this and right out of high school, um, like I applied to Ryerson sport media and I didn't get in. Um, I think I just, I kind of underestimated how, how difficult of a program it was to get into. So I went to Laurier and, uh, yeah, making that decision was, was a tough one, but you know, come March when you get the email that you have an interview and then you get the email that you got in, um, it was definitely worth it and making the actual choice like, okay, I'm in, do I go? It was a no brainer because like I said, it's just, I knew I had to do that, but um, leaving behind even what I'd done in the year at Laurier, it was, uh, it was tough, but um, definitely worth it. That's, and that's gonna... really good. You, you no. Oh, can I, can I keep going? <laughs> go ahead, <sure. laughs> I thought you were going to take a quick break. I was going to ask, um, well, I was going to say, first of all, you're like really determined to get into the program, getting rejected the first time around and then yeah. coming back. I think you're the first person who we've talked to that didn't get in the first time and then applied again. So, um, yeah, that's that's really, really cool. Um, did you get an interview the first time around? No, I didn't even know there was an interview process. Um, I just I remember and looking back on it, I it was kind of stupid of me, but I just remember doing all the the application processes and I just didn't take it seriously because you know at that point I, I'd applied to a whole bunch of schools and I and I didn't know what I wanted to do so it's not like I I pushed on on Ryerson Sport Media I just kind of paid everything um, the same amount of attention uh, not to say I just blew off the application process but I did not understand how difficult of a program it is to get into uh, and for good reason like I, I'm glad I'm I wouldn't say I'm glad, but I, it's almost a good thing I didn't get in the first time because it, it kind of makes you realize like, okay, like if you want if you want to get into this program, that's a really, really good program. You are going to actually have to you know, work for it. So. 
Yeah, you're a, you're the prime example of that. Working hard <laughs> to get into a program, like going to another school and then being like, okay, you know what? I might go back to Ryerson now. Like that that's yeah. that's really good. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, and we're gonna dive into all of the other aspects of Ryerson, uh, and including the application process and <laughs> filling all the applications out and then doing the interviews uh, in a second because we'd love to hear who interviewed you. Um, but we'll be back in one second. All right, and we're back to talk everything, I guess, Ryerson, because we sort of hit on everything else. And I think we should start at the very beginning for you and the application process. You mentioned you did this twice. Um, first time, not successful. The second time, very. Uh, so what was the application process like varied over the two years that you applied? Similar. And I think it might've been the same. Um, that definitely the same, uh, you know, requirements. I don't know. I don't know how specific, you know, in terms of the essay questions and stuff, but I, it, I remember it being very similar. Um, uh, I, I think, I think there was a difference maybe when it came to, um, I, I don't know if it was the resume exactly, but, but something about your, your extracurricular experience. I think there was a difference there from first to second year, but overall very similar. Um, and, uh, you know, when it, when it came to the, to the interview process office, obviously I only. I only had it the second year. So, you know, in general, I, I would say pretty, pretty close. And who did your interview and do you remember what day it was? It was, uh, it was March 14th. Oh my God. I, I still, <laughs> I'm so blown away. How many people remember the exact date? <laughs> cause well, it was March 14th, you know, it was March I, 14th. <laughs> cause I, I had to, cause I was at Laurier and I, I had to get to Toronto um, it, it was this whole thing because I had to go to my grandparents in Mississauga the night before and then train in on the 14th. And then I had to get back to Waterloo for a class on the night of the 14th. It was, mm. it was a big thing. But um, Laurel, uh, Laurel Walzak did my, oh. my interview. Um, and I, I remember it very well. And I, and I, I knew at the time that it, that it had gone really well. Um, and I, I, I basically knew, uh, she, she'd said some things and I basically knew I was probably going to get in. Uh, so I was, I was pretty psyched, um, especially after, you know, the first year not getting in at all, but that, that might be the first time, <clears throat> like I had to, I remember I took the go train in from Mississauga and then I, I walked up young, uh, from union cause I didn't know how to take the subway. I walked up young and then it took me a while. I got to the RCC extremely early, like two hours early. Uh, and I think I sat in Kerr Hall for like an hour just waiting. Um, I remember that day, now that I think about it, I remember that day really well. Uh, but it was, uh, it, was a, it was a whirlwind, but it was, it was pretty fun, that whole experience. What was going through your mind when you were sitting at Kerr Hall for <laughs> like two hours? <laughs> well, it's, it was tough because I almost think because like, like I said, I didn't have it the year before, so I had no idea what to expect. Um, I kind of, I, like I walked by where they were happening and tons of people just waiting around. Um, but I, I knew like if I waited with them, I, I just would have freaked myself out. So I just, I don't even know if I could find the place in Kerr Hall anymore, but I just went and sat in Kerr Hall and I, 
I think I just listened to music and tried not to think too much about it. I've, I've never been one to get super uh, worked up over, over in, you know, an interview where we had the essay portion as well. But I, I remember that day I was just pretty, cause I was, I was just super anxious. Like, what if I don't get in again? Like, do I, do I come back and try a third time or so? I don't know. But again, like the whole experience of that day was awesome. That's, I also just realized nice headphones. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But, we all have the same headphones. Yeah, we all have the same headphones, don't we? <laughs> Well then, uh, thank you, Ryerson, because I believe these were the suggested headphones first. <laughs> um, so do you remember like what you talked about with Laurel? I, a big part of it was my year at Laurier um, and like why I was there and um, why I was applying again. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I remember it was a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. Um, a few, a few, like two or three very basic questions. And then like a, a personal one and asking like, why, why did you go to Laurier for a year and why are you coming here now? So that's where I just kind of got real with, with her and just like explained, I didn't get in the first time. Um, and I, I didn't even get an interview and now I'm coming back and trying again and thinking back on it, I think, I think because I, I was hesitant to say that at first that I didn't get in the first time, but thinking back on it, I think that was a, a good thing uh, to to tell her about because I don't know if that was explicit on the on the resume or whatever. But um, I I remember it was a lot shorter than I thought and a lot more casual than I thought. Uh, she was just kind of you know a conversation, and I I don't know if everyone can say the same. I don't know if you guys can say the same. I'm not sure who interviewed you, but it was a it was a really casual experience, and I think I think that was nice to see because they were more seeing what kind of person you were rather than asking all these things that you've done. Um, yeah. So that, that was good to see. And um, that's a big part of why it's tough to see the, the application process be changed now. Yeah. Well, switching the focus to marks, I think is tough, especially for a program like this and yeah. how it really does take a specific, well, not necessarily a specific person, but as someone who, actually wants to be in sport media and will have the work ethic to do the work. And I think that the interview process definitely helped with that. Uh, I don't know if you apply to any other Ryerson programs, uh, whether it be media production or the second time around I did the first time around I didn't, but the second time, because when you apply on, um, on the, on the program, whatever you, you have three applications for the same price. So I just did anyways, I forget what I did. I think I did uh, journalism and probably media production or maybe creative industries. I'm not sure, but I, I think one of the applications I dropped halfway through, I just, even if I got in, I figured I don't want to do it. Um, and I think I did get into journalism thinking back on it different application process but again journalism i wasn't really sure uh again like if i did get in do i really want to do this so those were just kind of on the back burner for me so how many i i always love asking people this because i apply to way too many programs (laughs) but how many programs do you think you applied to over the two years that you were applying in the first year um I applied to Ryerson Sport Media, um, 
I think I might have only done three. Uh, no, I did four. Uh, Ryerson Sport Media, um, Laurier, Carlton, and Queens. Um, and it was really tough because the Ryerson ones was the only one I didn't get into. Um, and then the second time around, just the three Ryerson programs. So what did you apply to at Carlton? Uh, journalism. Oh, okay. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> when did you get in? Um, Carlton, I think might've been, no, Laurier was the first one I got into. Carlton, I think was second, which would have been, I think those two were in like February and then Queens in March and then never heard from Ryerson. So. Yeah. I applied to Carlton journalism and I maintain to this day, I think they might've made a mistake with my application because I don't think I met the minimum requirements but they accepted me the week before Christmas. Wow. Wow. I don't even know if I'd applied by that point. I know. <laughs> yeah. Which I maintain, I think they made a mistake with my application because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I, you needed an 85 in English and I had like an 80. Maybe you re- uh, applied to the wrong program. It was definitely <laughs> Carlton journalism. So I don't know, but yeah, it's, application process i think nowadays is probably a bit easier because there's less extra stuff you have to do from my understanding Uh, it's a lot more based on academics which i guess requires more work during the school year yeah (laughs) but it mitigates the process a little bit and you had to deal with i guess you didn't have to deal with it because you came in our year and it's so weird when I look at our program and I see that there are a lot of people who aren't actually our age. Like yeah, I know yeah. like, you aren't Hunter surplus isn't, I believe either. I think you went to Western. I think vaguely so. remember. I want to say Ivan Ellis isn't our age either. Yeah. He's a year older than me, I believe. He's a year older than you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So if you're thinking about applying to Ryerson sport media and you're older than what you think should apply, apply because it doesn't really hurt at all. Um, Mm, But let's get back to sort of your experience at Ryerson. Uh, One of the first things that you did was you've done stuff with Rams Live. So what has that experience been like for you? And what have you sort of learned from doing all of these broadcasts? Uh, It's, those have been really cool. And I, I remember at first it's, it was more educational and also stressful and just kind of, you know, I was worried about messing up, even though I think for the first two or three, I just did camera. Um, but, but after a while, like all of the ones I did last year, they're just fun. Like they're, it's cause you know, everyone, most people by that point, and you're kind of getting into roles that you actually want to do. Like you start learning um, what you like doing rather than just trying out everything to see, to figure that out. So by the time you figure that out, and by the time you kind of get to know the the group of people who are all awesome that that do Rams Live, it's just it's tons of fun, and it's it's like six seven hours out of your Friday night sometimes, but it's totally worth it, and it's it's a it's a really good time. It was it, like it's among other things. It's sad to see that you know on pause for now this year. Did you ever get yeah. the chance to do any hosting with that? No, and I I don't know if I would. Um, on camera has always been like, I like it, but I just, I, I don't know if I, I want to go into that anyways. And I, I don't know. I've, I've thought about, it. I definitely don't think I'd want to commentate or anything. Uh-huh. I just don't have the faith in myself to be that quick. 
but I don't know, maybe next year, if, if it happens next year, I'll probably host where Try to, yeah. you know, do something like that once just to, just to do it before I graduate. Yeah. We'll see if we are back to school by then. Yeah. Um, which three months ago we would have said, Oh, for sure. We will be back for second semester. Yeah. And we've already canceled second semester at the beginning of the first one. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. They've started this new Rams rewind um, thing broadcast. So at least they're doing that. And I think there's still have openings for that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, if you want to consume that, go and find it. <laughs> uh, I don't really know where they post all that stuff. Do you guys know where they post it? I think it was just an email that was sent out. Yeah, I saw that, but I'm not sure like how they, how they're, Broadcasting oh, how they're it broadcasting something. it? Yeah. Uh, maybe I can find out. Yeah, Aiden will try to find that out while we ask you more about your entire Ryerson experience, beginning with your first, I guess, sort of outside of school experience with Ryerson people in the Year 5 Collective. So far, we've had, how many of you on? I think three of your group on so i won't list off all the names again because if you want to uh, see that you can go back to the patrick talon episode uh, i believe he was involved with that and i list all the people there but i believe he said i think it was him you did all of the background running the website stuff correct yes so what was that entire experience like running a website um, with a ton of other people sort of submitting work to you it was really cool. Um, and I remember how that got started. Like I, I definitely cannot take credit for the idea at all. I, it's something that we'd kind of talked about uh, a few times throughout the year and we just, no one ever really got around to actually uh, getting it together. But it was after I'd gone home after first year and it was just after one or two weeks of home of being at home and we we're just talking like, Hey, do we actually want to finally do this? And we're like, yeah, might as well. Like we're, we're all done for the year and we're off for the summer. Uh, it'll, you know, give us somewhere to write. So I just, I spent an evening um, learning how to use Wix and putting together a site. And from there, uh, like once you have it set up, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Like people, it, it was just, everyone was very independent. We, we put together a little schedule. So, you know, like at first we tried to, we tried to say, let's have this many articles up in this amount of time. And for a while we kept that up. Um, but it, it was, we had a schedule going and people would just write whatever they wanted. And then um, they, they would go on and, and just submit it. And it would, uh, it would, you know, fall under the homepage. It would fall under their, their name bar. And then eventually we also got uh, everyone's radio shows that they were doing up there at the time. Um, it, it was, uh, but like, yeah, over, overall, it was a really cool experience to do with, with everyone involved, a great group of people. And um, I think, I think for the most part, everyone was just kind of using it as a, as a platform to put on whatever they wanted at the time. There weren't really any rules about, about what gets posted and people would write when they want and post when they want. So uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool. What is what would you say was your biggest takeaway from doing that then? Um, I think two things. One being 
it's a lot easier than it looks to create a nice looking website. Uh, and like, I'll be honest, I have, I still don't really have any, but I had no web design experience. Um, but just after a few hours, uh, like all, all those programs, they are, they're pretty uh, foolproof. And I like, I really like how the, just the look of the website turned out. I was really happy with it. Um, and that's a lot easier to do than, than it seems. So that, that was definitely one. And another, I think from more of a personal and how I write standpoint, I don't like doing short stories. I don't like writing stories about things that anyone can just go find for themselves. Um, I don't, you know, I don't like writing recaps or previews. I just, I don't see the, uh, not to say there's no point in it, but personally, I just don't see why I, I should be writing about that. Cause I don't think anyone wants to hear what I have to say about a, a certain game that happened. So I kind of channeled my writing into more, um, like I said before, you know, longer feature sort of conceptual ideas that maybe people wouldn't really think of. And I'd kind of, I'd kind of do the work that went into it to, to come to whatever conclusion I would get to. So I think just from a writing standpoint, that helped me realize what kind of writing I like to do. So how many stories did you do? And could you give us like maybe a bit of an idea of like one of your stories, uh, who it was on sort of thing? Yeah, I think I did four and I'm going to go there now. I think I did four. I did one on um, NBA playoffs and how uh, playing at home and away compared in in like the past decade of playoffs. I did one, I did an interview with Jason Robertson, the Dallas Stars forward, um, just as an article in itself. And then there's one more in there. And then my favorite one that I did was I don't even know what you'd call it, but I, I sort of created a, I guess a formula in a way that was um, analyzing how important it is for NHL teams to be hot when they enter the playoffs. So, um, and I can pull that up now, but it was essentially, um, yeah, how late season performance affected playoff success. So it's essentially looking at um, the last 10 years starting at, yeah, 2010. And I did this last summer. Um, starting in 2010, I looked at uh, the, so it was, um, the formula was the last, uh, sorry, um, the, the last 10 games of the, the team season. And then you consider their playoff finish and their regular season finish. And you kind of determine, you know, how important was it to this team that they were, that they were on a hot streak going into the playoffs, you know, it, it'd look at where they finished in the regular season. So if a, you know, if a team finished 15 out of 16 going into the playoffs, but they were on an eight and two run, uh, where did they finish, you know, in the, in, in the playoffs. And if they finished high, that kind of supported the argument that yes, you know, going into the playoffs hot is very important. Um, and in the end, for the most part, it was, it did kind of suggest that like uh, there were some, 
Pittsburgh, right? In 2015, I think. They're like one of the hard, hottest teams. Or 2016? 2016? Yeah. Um, I, I, I like wrote I've down two this. of them. So the LA in um, LA in 2012. Right, right. Uh, they went into the playoffs. If I can find them here. They went into the playoffs in 13th. And they finished the regular season five, two, and three. No, I wouldn't call that really streaking, maybe a bit, but they finished first. So that doesn't really support the argument I was making. So I would, beside that, I'd write down a number that I got from the formula somehow and whether it, you know, correlated with, with the argument I was trying to make. But then you go down to uh, Nashville in 2017, Nashville finished, um, 16th uh, in the regular season. They went in five, four, and one. And by my, by whatever rule I used, I said, yes, that is a streaking team. Um, They finished second in the playoffs. So that supported the argument. Uh, Again, the lightning in 2019. Well, you know what? I'll use St. Louis because St. Louis's run last year was kind of the reason I wrote this article. Mm -hmm. Um, St. Louis enters the playoffs in 12th on 8-1-1, one, and one, definitely streaking, and they win the cup. So that one was, I think, the most, the, the strongest uh, argument for. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like I, I, I don't have to give all the examples, but it was just kind of looking at the numbers like that. Um, you know, in short, that was, that was probably my favorite article. I believe there was another one. Um, I think I did four, I guess. Yes. Um, the uh, article on the playoff format, um, specifically looking at Tampa and Columbus last year, is the playoff format why uh, teams are losing, good teams are losing. I argue no. I won't go into it too much, but I, I think those were the four. The interview and then the three uh, sort of longer pieces. Nice. So how long do you think one of those articles would take you to write? It varies. Um, I mean, like the interview was the interview and then it just took a while to transcribe it. Uh, the longest one probably wasn't the, the streaking into playoffs one. It was probably the, uh, the NBA um, home and away. odds at home and away because, and I, I was actually just at home, uh, like my home home, and I found the sheets that I did it on. I went through every... NBA playoffs from 2010, I believe, until last summer. And I looked at every single series that was played, um, every single series that was played in the last 10 playoffs, and if the home or away team won each game. And that, that wasn't even really the point of the article. That, that was just one um, kind of supporting argument. Uh, so, I, you know, in retrospect, I probably didn't have to spend all my time going through the basketball reference website, trying to see uh, if if home team or away team is winning. That took me like a few days of just tallying numbers. Um, in terms of the writing process, I honestly find writing when when you're writing about something you want to write about and all four of those articles were definitely something I wanted to write about. It went by really fast because you know, like it's, it's just kind of flowing. You're not, you're not kind of grinding and thinking about what, what you want to put out there. Obviously you're kind of forming it in the way you want, but 
all of those articles writing about something I want to write about it, it went by a, a lot quicker than, you know, I even anticipated. Talk a little bit about the article you did or the interview with did, you did with uh, Jason Robertson. How did that come about? How did you get that interview with him? First of all, um, did you have to like reach out to him? How did you reach out to him? Did you know him or, um, and how did it, how did it go? So I know him. Uh, it's kind of funny. I know him through a sort of a family connection, I guess, um, not related in any way, but um, there is a connection there. And I was working. Um, I was working. Yeah, last summer I was working at Cleveland's House Resort up in the Muskokas, and um, he was there visiting. Um, that like that that said connection that I had. He was there visiting, and I chatted with him for for a bit. We were just kind of hanging out, talking about. Uh, we talked about his because it was right after the World Juniors. Oh, so um, you know, you knew who he was. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, we were, we were talking about his World Juniors, and it was really because I'd never really talked to someone like that. Um, I, we were talking about World Juniors and stuff, and kind of got to know him a little bit and uh yeah i just kind of eventually asked i don't know if i asked then or i asked i reached out later but i just asked can we do a quick interview just nothing specific can i do an interview for the for the website and it uh it worked out so yeah nice. that's pretty cool it's a good connection to have there yeah uh for the future and he's relatively young right yes he's uh is he looking? in the ahl or is he in the NHL? He's sort of both. He was in the bubble this year. Uh, he okay. warmed up once, I think. He's played, he played, I think, three games last season. Um, yep, you're right this about that. Year, this year, he, he'll probably jump back and forth. But I, I like, just from an objective standpoint, I do think he'll, he'll establish himself eventually. Um, he's, uh, he's my age. He's uh, yeah, July 22nd, 1999. Yeah, he's only 21. Yeah. That's very young in his NHL career. Second you... round pick. I guess, did you know him when he got drafted? No. No? Uh, okay. No, I did not, no. That's, it's still interesting, like, talking to somebody in that sort of role. Like, I've met Gordon Miller three times, I think, because uh, his daughter went to my middle school and high school, uh, and he did our careers day for two years. <laughs> uh, I set up a separate meeting with him uh, through my advisor as well uh, he's a great person as well but yeah it's just interesting talking to them and hearing what yeah, they have to sure. say and did you meet anyone else while you were the social media coordinator for cleveland house resort <laughs> no um uh who you didn't I meet anyone Kimmel. <laughs> no so i worked there as it's kind of funny i worked there front desk the year before and um, Brad May was actually there. Um, oh. I I met him briefly, uh, but no, like there are there are quite a few people that that go to that because it's on the Muskoka's right, so everyone has their cottage up there. Um, Paul Rudd was there this summer. Oh, I didn't get to meet him. That's a big one. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Eugene Levy. Uh, Martin Short was around. Mitch Marner. Was there again? Didn't get to meet him. Some of my friends got photos with him. Um, I think I think that's it. It's a lot. Makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Knowing the Muskokas, I think I knew Marner had a place up there somewhere. Yeah. Um, 
I feel like a lot of the Leafs probably do at this point, especially yeah. the ones from Toronto, uh, which we'll touch on some of the Leafs from Toronto a little bit later. But let's sort of wrap up. Um, we'll touch on your social media work very quickly, and we'll wrap up with what you're doing right now, which I didn't realize you were doing until researching for this interview. Um, but final thing we need to mention is stability. Oh, yeah. You were the social media coordinator for them for four months uh, last summer. Yeah. At the same so I time was... as the Cleveland House Resort, correct? Yeah. So um, Cleveland's House was like my full-time summer job. Um, stability was, it was an internship, uh, like a remote internship. Uh, it's based out of Syracuse, I believe. Um, and essentially, it was, uh, I was... Um, a social media intern sort of creating content. So what, what stability is, I guess I should say, first of all, is uh, it's a, I don't know if it's a company, but it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a company that sort of um, it's like the, it's like an Airbnb for events. So, and mostly like athletics events. So if there's like specifically, I worked um, on the canoe kayak Canada account, the, uh, snowboard Canada account and one more, oh, Pat, like, uh, rowing, like real rowing, uh, account. And essentially what it is, is if one of those, um, place, one of those, uh, groups is, you know, going to a tournament stability sort of partners with like local, uh, it could be residents, local residents, or just local opportunities where they can sleep, like where they can stay. So it's sort of like a, a broad Airbnb in that sense. But what I did, I just, I was sort of creating content um, on Instagram and Twitter for uh, those three um, accounts that I mentioned with stability. So it was just sort of uh, kind of, yeah, creating content for those accounts to, um, to kind of partner with and market with those, uh, with those three um, areas, I guess. And has that helped you at all with your current position, which is as a runner for Sportsnet? I don't know. Uh, maybe. I think, I think the biggest thing I got from that was, from Stability, was seeing how like a, a bigger company operates its social media. Because it, it's, not like, it's not like someone's going in and doing all the posting on all the accounts uh, just manually. Like it's... I would create content and I would put it somewhere and then it like it kind of gets automated and put into feeds and stuff. So it, that was kind of interesting to learn whether it, you know, translate to translates to where I am now, maybe though I can't say I really have too much of a hand in social media where I am now, but it was, it was definitely good in the sense that you're, you're kind of working on a, on a larger platform uh, and seeing how things kind of function behind the scenes. So what does your role at Sportsnet specifically entail? So as a runner, uh, nothing fancy, that's for sure. It's um, essentially just a production assistant, I guess, in a way, um, just doing day-to-day tasks on, on uh, you know, like when I first joined, it was hot for Hockey Night in Canada and Wednesday Night Hockey roles. But obviously that changed when um, the 
new playoffs came out, um, they were, you know, working every, or they had a runner on every night um, because they had a panel every night. So whenever there's a panel working, there's a runner working. Um, so it's just day-to-day tasks, uh, printing all the the necessary game notes and statistics and stuff for the commentators. Um, something like, like getting meals together for the commentators. Uh, just kind of like, it's a, just a lot of very small tasks working in the studio and around uh, around the, um, control room and stuff, just doing what needs to be done, uh, making sure everyone has what they, they need. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a pretty fun role. Again, nothing, you know, nothing super involved, um, when it comes to a, you know, live sport production, but not, you know, definitely a necessary role. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, just kind of, just kind of being there and, and completing all the, all the things that, uh, need to be done to to get a production off smoothly. People at Sportsnet, you heard that it's a necessary role. Don't <laughs> yeah. fire him, please. Um. <laughs> hey, it's a, it's a good it's a good step like to get your foot into the door because now you know being around all these people, you meet people and they see what you can do, they gain your trust, and then hey, maybe you you work your way up, right? So I yeah, think everybody yeah. has to start somewhere. That's what they pushed with us in. In first year, right? Like, if you can become a runner at Sportsnet in in third year, that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. That's really good. Yeah, it's really good to get a foot in the door, and especially with mm-hmm. like a bona fide organization in Canada in the sport media game. Yeah, uh, that's very impressive. Um, but how, how did, did you that... get in? Yeah, how did you get into that? Um, I, <laughs> they were they were hiring and. Uh, well, they they weren't like I guess openly hiring, um, but it was it was a connection through Ryerson. Uh, they were looking for new runners and um, some someone I know at Ryerson. Uh, it's like someone in the industry kind of referred me, I guess, and it just kind of you know put me in touch with the with the people that were that were making those hires, and yeah, it just kind of went from there. Nice, that's pretty good. And is this like a job or an internship? It's a job. Yeah. So job. right now, obviously with no, cause I only work NHL with no NHL. I'm not on, but whenever the NHL comes back, uh, I'll be back too. Sick. Yeah. And that might be inching closer as there was an announcement with the AHL today, which we'll dive into once we talk sports, which will probably be in very like the next five minutes because our final question, which is one that we ask every person who comes on is what are your, five suggestions slash five takeaways. i thought it was three was it oh, five? three <laughs> three sorry what are your three suggestions slash takeaways from your experience in sport media and your experience at ryerson <laughs> i know we started Should've off told you in advance and it even tougher <laughs> i think um one of them and you know something i kind of wish i knew coming in was like everyone's going to have you know areas of strength that they are aware of before they come into the program or to the industry in general uh that's for sure i, I don't think anyone would come in just kind of not really hot on anything right so everyone's going to have those <laughs> aspects of the industry and i think that's a good thing but i think it's important to kind of keep that in mind, but maybe push it to the side a bit and 
go in and everyone says, you know, go in with an open mind. And I, I guess that's what I'm saying is just go in, not driven on whatever you you're entering with, you know, go in and just take everything, you know, on an equal level, take everything objectively and, and sort of don't, don't, uh, you know, don't close yourself off to something just because you assume that you're, that you won't be interested because, you know, that's, that's just something I, I wish I knew because there's a lot of things that I never really would have figured I'd want to do until I was kind of forced into it. So that's probably one. I think that's um, like three. I think you're good. <laughs> I think that, okay. If that's three, then I'll take it. Yeah. That, there, there, are, there is a lot to unpack there. It's, mid, it's midterm season. We don't have to do any, yeah. any extra work here. <laughs> we won't make you think that hard. Uh, we've already made you struggle enough. Um, but yeah, it was, you've had a very, very interesting journey, I think, is one of the big takeaways from this. And that interesting journey obviously isn't unique to, to you. Like every, there were people be, there will people. There will be people who have a very similar experience to that. And sure. if you are considering applying, if you're some person who somehow found this podcast, just understand that just because you think it might like just because you think you may not be qualified, don't be afraid to give it a second chance, as Luke did. And as you mentioned And you gotta work for it too. Yeah, you gotta, gotta work, work for it. Uh, is the big thing. And get your foot in the door as early as you can is probably a big thing. Uh, not everybody is as fortunate as Luke to have a foot in the door at Sportsnet. <laughs> He's earned uh, it though. He's earned but it. But he has earned it, and that's the big thing. You need to earn it. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's sort of the end of our interview portion, interview section. It was a long interview it's portion. Long. It's been long. <laughs> um, we're gonna have a long podcast today, which. Is probably a good thing because it isn't just limited to NHL this week uh, in terms of content. But yeah, we'll be back right after this break and see you then. All right. And we are back from talking everything Luke to talk everything sports. Uh, and we're starting off with a couple of quickies, um, particularly focused on the NBA because these stories broke today and we want to see more information come out about them. Um, but Basically, to begin with, we'll start with the positive news and then get to the very not positive news. Um, Daryl Morey was hired to oversee the Philadelphia 76ers basketball operations. Um, we're not really sure what that's going to entail for the Sixers organization or what sort of happens in that situation, but it'll be interesting to see how this entire thing plays out and... Yeah, uh, he certainly bounced back pretty quickly after leaving the Houston Rockets GM position. Uh, um, that's probably putting it lightly, but not so positive news. Uh, it came out this morning that Terrence Davis, the point guard slash shooting guard for the Toronto Raptors, was arrested in New York City uh, for assault. Uh, I believe it was assault of the third degree and public mischief for what is being reported as hitting his girlfriend. So we're going to wait to see what more information comes out about this. But basically the crux of it is, if he did this, he is no longer a Toronto Raptor. It's the same situation as what happened with Roberto Osuna to me. Yep. 
As simple as that. They trade him. You shouldn't even be in the NBA at that point, in my opinion. But we have to wait to see what comes out, and we're not going to comment on just what will happen or the entire situation until we know more. So we'll potentially talk about it next week if there's more information. We might have to even push it to a couple weeks later, um, depending on how the Toronto Raptors investigation goes because they're launching one and the criminal investigation and everything around that. Um, But moving on to some positive news in a sport that we literally never talk about, and it is a sport. Anybody who says otherwise is wrong. F1, Formula One. Uh, I, my dad is very, he followed it very closely uh, when I was younger doesn't follow it as much anymore. But he was a big Michael Schumacher fan. And Michael Schumacher this weekend, uh, I believe he was second. He might have been third. But Lewis Hamilton, the McLaren driver, you've definitely seen pictures of him. Uh, He's one of the only drivers of color in the F1 field. Passed, or is now the all-time race winner, race-winning leader. I don't know how they word it, but he's won the most races of all time in F1. He just won his 92nd race over the weekend, um, which is just, it's unbelievable that he's been able to do that. And obviously he has a good car in McLaren, but I believe he's McLaren. He might be Mercedes. I can't remember. I don't know. I get the mix up. Um, But he is a very, very good driver. And to pass Michael Schumacher, because I believe it was him. I'm not, let me actually fact check that. Um, (laughs) Because I want to get that right and not ruin anybody's name. Um, Sorry, Kyle Cushman, if you're listening. <laughs> he doesn't follow F1, though, I don't think. I think he's mostly NASCAR. I was oh, right. Okay. It was Michael Schumacher. Um, he is second. Uh, with Sebastian Vettel is third. Interesting. That's very interesting. You have no idea who that is. <laughs> I recommend if you are interested in F1 or just want to sort of looking for something interesting to watch the Netflix like series where they follow the entire F1 uh, season is unbelievable. It is so good. Uh, So I would recommend watching that because it's like, I can't recommend something like that show enough. It's really, really good. Um, But transitioning away to another sport that we don't really talk about much, talk about much on here uh, in the UFC. So Kyle, if you're listening to this show, you're having a great time right now. Um, but Khabib, Nurmaga- oh, I knew I was going to mess that up. I practiced it before too. Namurga Madoff. Uh, he is the guy who is going to, who attacked <laughs> or who was attacked by Conor McGregor after McGregor had won a fight, I believe. I think it was the other way around. Oh, was right? it the other way around? Yeah. It might have, it, it would make and then he sense went into the stands. The Khabib yeah. climbed the uh, the fence or whatever and, and went into the stands. Yeah, that's yeah. how I remember him too. But he's also one of the best fighters in the game. He, Probably the I best. He, I believe he finished his... Well, he retired this weekend. Uh, I believe he finished his career 19-0. and 0. He beat... 29-0. and 29-0. 29-0. Yeah, yeah. That's a big difference. Uh, he beat Justin Gaethje, who is an unbelievable fighter as well. And I just want to give... Khabib, the utmost respect. Um, the reason he is stepping away is because his father passed away back in, I believe it was early July. 
and he was his trainer and he doesn't want to fight without his dad with him. So massive, massive respect to him, massive respect to him going out on top. And he will be go down as one of the best fighters of all time. I don't think there's even a conversation about that. And one of the things that came out after the fight apparently was he was planning to take Gaethje out with, I believe it was an arm bar, but midway through the fight, he changed his strategy because Gaethje's parents were there and he knew <laughs> Gaethje wouldn't, he knew Gaethje wouldn't tap. So he didn't want to break Gaethje's arm in front of his parents. Oh my so gosh. he switched to a choke. Wow. That's how good he is. Um, so, yeah, I've heard, just, I've heard some pretty crazy things about Khabib. I've heard that he like talks to uh, Dana White during his fights. Like when when he had the fight with uh, Conor McGregor, he was just like uh, like um, during like between each round, he would say to Dana Dana like Dana, I'm I'm gonna beat your boy. I'm gonna beat your boy, Dana. I'm gonna beat your boy, and like just tripping him, like telling him exactly what he's gonna do and stuff. So yeah, I mean he's a pro. He's a phenomenal fighter, and some of the workouts he's done, like he does, is just absolutely insane. Like they're not traditional workouts at all. It's like swimming in a frozen river, sort of thing, because <laughs> um, he's from like Russia, I think. But yeah, he's he, Muslim too. I believe. Uh, I so, think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, he's well, really humble in that sense. Yeah. Either way, he's just unbelievable fighter. Uh, he's going to go down as one of the best ever, but. Let's transition to NFL. Uh, obviously, we should mention, Luke doesn't really follow these sports that we're going really quickly through. Um, so we're just trying to click fire stuff. Uh, <laughs> if you want to comment at all, jump in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll hit NFL quickly. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. tore his ACL and is now out for the season. Uh, either of you have any thoughts on that? Sucks for the Browns. You know, they were playing okay. Uh, Jarvis Landry's going to have to step up. And I think, like, the thing with Beckham is that he gets hurt, like, every year now. So that really hurts his value if the Browns were to ever trade him. I don't really want to talk too much about it, but, yeah, it sucks for the Browns. Clearly. Uh, what doesn't suck for the Ravens, though, is them signing Des Bryant. Yeah. Which, interesting signing. Yeah, that's a big signing. Like the Ravens are already scary, and they just got a guy who could, you know, come in and be their WR two potentially. Um, maybe not right away, but he's gonna have to work work for that. Um, maybe he can turn into their number one receiver. You never know. Um, but you know, he's been out of the out of the league for I think a year now, maybe one or two years. So he's a little bit rusty probably, but I'm sure he's been training on the side and stuff and. Like, he's still a very good receiver, and he's still a really big man. And, you know, if if the quarterback, if Lamar Jackson, you know, lobs a ball up to him one-on-one, -on -one, it's not a 50-50 ball. It's still going to be that 70-30 ball you're getting with Des Bryant. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great signing for the Ravens. And if the Ravens ever want to compete with the Chiefs, they're going to need a better wide receiver core, so Bryant helps with that. Um, it's, it's very high risk with Bryant, but very high reward if it works out. Yeah. And I believe it's only a one year contract. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Lamar Jackson can do with him. Uh, but yeah, making that receiving core much better, uh, which can you say the same thing about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers signing Antonio Brown, which 
have we not realized that the Antonio Brown situation doesn't work anymore? I, I don't know. I, I think it could work out. Like, I know Bruce Arians has said, like, be a team player or you're out. Like, that's what he said to, to Brown, and he said that publicly. So, you know, Antonio Brown has to realize that this is his last chance. Like, there is not going to be another team that will take a chance on you. I think the main reason why the Bucks took the chance is because of Tom Brady. And you saw what Brady and Brown were able to do last year in the few games that they played in. And, you know, they always have said that they wanted to play with each other. Um, so, you know, I don't know if Brown's going to be like their number one target because they already have Mike Evans. They have Chris Godwin. Um, they have Rob Gronkowski. So, I don't know. I, I think it's it, it definitely helps the Bucks, uh wide receiver core a lot. Um yeah, very high risk, very high reward. It's kind of the same with Bryant. I think there's obviously less risk with uh with Des Bryant, but um yeah, I don't I don't know. It's I don't think I'm that concerned about it as uh as much about it as other people will be. Agreed, I guess, maybe. I think it's a big risk and I don't think it's gonna work out because if we're going based off history Definitely and, don't agree then. <laughs> I don't know why I said I agree. I kind of agree. <laughs> I think it could work out, but I think there's a higher probability of it not working out because of who Antonio Brown is. Yeah. And the, let's say, history he has of not exactly working with teams. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we'll move on to another situation which. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but we'll touch on it after we talk about what's important, and that is the World Series. Well, let's talk about the case first, I think, because I want to go in on, on Kevin Cash. Okay, <laughs> before you go in on Kevin Cash, I want to read you... Let's go in you, on the MLB. <laughs> no, I want to read you a statement from okay. the MLB. Okay. They issued this. Ken Rosenthal just tweeted this about two hours ago. It's a, and it reads... Immediately upon receiving notice from the laboratory of a positive test, protocols were triggered, leading to the removal of Justin Turner from last night's game. Turner was placed into isolation for the safety of those around him. However, following the Dodgers' victory, it is clear that Turner chose to disregard the agreed-upon joint protocols and the instructions he was given regarding the safety and protection of others. While a desire to celebrate is understandable. Turner's decision to leave isolation and enter the field was wrong and put everyone he came in contact with at risk. When MLB security raised the matter of being on the field with Turner, he emphatically refused to comply. The commissioner's office is beginning a full investigation into this matter and will consult with the Players Association within the parameters of the Joint 2020 Operations Manual. Last night, nasal swabs were conducted on the Dodgers' traveling party. Both the Rays and Dodgers were tested again today, and their travel back to their home cities will be determined after being approved by the appropriate authorities. So it sounds like the MLB did everything it could. That's how I took that, and this was all Turner's fault. I would agree. Um, I mean... I, I think like, cause when you think about it, when, when you're put in a situation like that, what are you going, 
what, what are the people around him going to do when, when they say, you know, you start enacting protocols and yeah, he gets pulled off the field and he gets put into isolation. Obviously you're not like, obviously he's not being forced into a room by himself and they're locking the door and leaving him there. I think they, they would have the expectation that he's going to be a reasonable, considerate human being in the matter. And he will, he will understand, you know, what the danger that he brings and he will take that upon himself to to isolate properly so initially i'm like wow this is a really bad look for the mlb this is a really bad look for the dodgers but i think i think when you get down to it it's just a really bad look for him i because it's not like it's not like he's going to run out onto the field and then get tackled by security because he's breaking he's breaking isolation i think he he like like they're really said he's he disregarded all you know all notions that you know like you should not be out there right now and and i circle back like what what are they gonna do are they gonna escort him off the field like i i just don't think any of those things are really options and i don't blame the mlb and i don't blame the dodgers for for not thinking that this would happen this would happen because i think it's a fair expectation to put on your athletes that if you are in this position and I mean, it's, it's crazy in the first place, right. In a world series clinching game that someone gets pulled from the game because they've received a positive test. That's insane just on its own. But you would think that all these athletes, if they were put in that crazy situation, they would understand and they would comply. So I, I agree with you, Connor. I think this is totally on Turner and it's, he's he's embarrassed the league and he's embarrassed his team and it's you know hopefully nothing horrible comes of it but just a stupid stupid decision um and a lot of organizations are going to receive flack for it when i really think it's just one person disregarding the rules so i like i do think you know the media and the fan bases and everyone investigating the matter will kind of reach that conclusion and i hope to see whatever punishment is due is handed out but i mean it's a it's just a really crappy situation to end but they got it done and this is just how it ended and it's just like come on like you couldn't just have the world series just end it and get everyone home safely like no this had to happen and it's just it's a really bad look and i think it just comes down to turner and before i let aiden go off on his rant i think we should add a little bit more context to the entire situation so basically what happened was yesterday uh i guess the day before that so sun yeah so monday uh they received an inconclusive test result for turner Mm -hmm. they tested him again and those results came back during, I guess, the sec or around the yeah, beginning of inning. the MLB game. But obviously, it would take some time to communicate. This is what happened, and enact the acceptable protocols. So Turner starts for the Dodgers, and then second inning, they find out the result. They pull him from the field. Wait, no, I don't think they did pull him in the second inning, though. I think they pulled him in the fourth inning. The fourth inning. Yeah. Did they just fly in their statement then? Because, yeah, Jer- Justin Turner had a three at-bats. So it was definitely not the second inning. It was – let me see if I can take a look. 
One. Well, it, oh my God, that might have. It was the yeah bottom of the fourth inning. He had an at bat in the bottom of the fourth inning. Wow. Yeah. That's. It's so. Wait, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. Bottom of the sixth inning. Justin Turner flies out to deep left field to Randy Rosarena. Yeah, he almost hit a home run. That was the sixth inning. The sixth inning. Where did I get the second inning from? No, second inning, they found out that, uh, that he tested positive. I didn't watch so, the game. Did he have any RBIs or anything? Like, no, did he, he have any actual scoring impact on the game? No, he, uh, he had two okay. strikeouts, three at-bats. That would have added another level to this. That would have been Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's but he almost hit a home run, yeah. I, um, how did it take exactly. that no, that's, long that's my to point. communicate, though? Like, it's got to just be like one phone call. Hey, he's got a positive test. Yeah. He can't be on the field. They call down to the dugout. Hey, you got to pull him from the field because he might infect the entire MLB. Dude, but like, okay, first of all, when I first heard that, too, like, and Luke said it, like, what are the, like, it's crazy how in the World Series clinching game, this happens, right? What, like, what a coincidence, right? In the final game, this happens. MLB's gone through. So, yes, exactly, as coincidence. If this didn't happen before. Exactly. Like, look at what the MLB did with, like, what, the Marlins in, uh, in August or whatever. They knew they had positive tests for the virus, and they still let them play the game. I, I am 99% sure this is what, this is what happened in, in last night's game. I think the Dodgers knew, or the, sorry, the Dodgers knew. The Rays must have known as well. The MLB knew that Justin Turner had, had COVID, and they still let him play. And what? they sorry. tried to cover it up by, by taking him out after, uh, after six, six innings, I guess. What if the MLB knew and the Dodgers knew, but the reason he got pulled was Tampa Bay found out? This is a wild conspiracy theory, and there's absolutely nothing backing this up at all. But what if Tampa Bay found out and they said, what the hell is happening to the MLB? I don't know. Geez, that's a lot to process. Would it surprise you? You'd have to wonder how, like, what the communication lines are. Like, who... Because I'm assuming, I don't know, but like I'd assume third party, uh, whatever are conducting these tests. And do they, like, upon a notable um, result, do they tell the MLB first? Do they tell the, the team first? So I'd like you'd, you'd have to wonder are the Rays somewhere in there along, along how this is released? That, like, you bring up a good point. I, I would hope not, right? Like, I'd hope that yeah. wasn't the reason they pull a COVID-positive person from the field just because the Rays finally found out. But, I mean, I guess it's possible, really. It's I definitely... Know, look, it's unlikely. Very, very unlikely. We should get that out there right now. But there is the remote possibility where they played him knowingly. And I think that's the big issue here. And also, like, I just found it, like, I was watching it on Fox, too, right? And they, um, after the Dodgers have their celebration, before the trophy gets handed out, they cut to commercial. And then after the commercial break, they go to the guy at, uh, at Fox News at the, at the panel. And he breaks the news to everyone. And I don't know, it just, it seemed so suspicious. Like, like they planned that out 
like hours in advance, like the way that he scripted it, everything. It's like they were ready for it right away. Like he was just like breaking, we had breaking news. It didn't sound like breaking news at all. It was like he rehearsed this like so much, so many times. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And of course it's Fox news too, right? MLB probably teamed up with Fox news to do this. Like I was just like, Oh my God, are you serious right now? I, I swear to God, MLB definitely knew that he had COVID. Definitely. I wonder if they were trying to keep this hidden and somebody found out. Yeah. And they I, threatened to break the story. I think said, it might have been oh, it, it might have been the it might have been the lab. I, I think the lab might have might have had something to do with it. They they uh they probably told MLB that yeah, Turner has COVID, then you know, they're obviously, you know, watching the game. They see that he's playing. The lab calls them back up or whatever. says, hey, yo, you got to get this guy out of the game because we're going to lose credibility too. You got to get him out or we'll like press charges or something, right? And then that's how they took him out. That could be a reason. There are so many variables here that we just don't know about. And because of the way that the MLB has handled COVID up until now, we're constantly thinking about the negative ones. Yeah. We're not thinking about, oh, maybe there was some sort of communications issue that led to him not getting pulled until the sixth inning. But we immediately go to, no, they did this on purpose, which I think is more of an indictment on the MLB personally, because nobody has faith in that league to do anything right at this point. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see what this investigation and what the punishment is handed out to him. Yeah. But I don't think it will be that severe. And I think it will get brushed under the rug. Because they're going to want people to forget about this as soon as possible. And punishing him will only bring it back into the news. So, I don't know. It's, it was a terrible way to end a good World Series, would you say? That's very entertaining. Yeah, game um, was game number four, uh, I think. Four, four. Game yeah, four. four with that crazy walk-off. Um, one of the most exciting bottom of the ninth innings or half innings I've ever seen. Um, and then uh, I guess we got to get into last night's game. And, you know, Tampa Bay, they're up one nothing, And, you know, things are looking good, right? Like, Blake Snell's having a phenomenal game. He's only given up one hit. I think it's the sixth inning, only one hit, 72 pitches. You know, that's that's a very good pitch count in the sixth inning. Um, the Dodgers can't hit anything. But it takes one hit in the sixth inning that the Dodgers get. And for some reason, for some reason Kevin Cash decides to pull Blake Snell. I, I, I don't get it. After two hits, 72 pitches. It, it didn't make any sense to me. And you already know what's going to happen. Mookie Betts is the next batter. He hits a double. And now there's runners at second and third. Next pitch. You got an error on the catcher. One run scores were tied. Then I'm pretty sure Corey Seager came up. I think he hit a single. Betts will score. An infield single to make it worse. Yeah. And, uh, and it's 2-1. It was the dumbest decision that Kevin Cash has made probably the entire season, probably his entire coaching career, because Cash, Cash is a good manager, first of all. He's made all the right moves up until this last game, you know, making lineup decisions, uh, 
replacing pitchers, going with the setup man, going with the closer, um, like finding these guys too, like Randy or Rosarina, like who would have thought this guy would actually be something in the playoffs and Kevin Cash gave him the chance to, you know, be great, be something. Uh, you know, that Brett Phillips move looks pretty darn good now. Um, so, and I just don't understand this move from Cash yesterday. It, it didn't make any sense to me. Snell's rolling. Snell's your number one guy. You got to keep him in the game for as long as he can go. And only 72 pitches. It's crazy to me. And and that's what cost them the game. I think if Snell stays in the game, then there will be a game seven. And, and hey, if, there's a, if, if, the, if the Rays win this game, who knows if we ever find out about this Justin Turner case if we go to game seven. So uh, it was sure. it was the dumbest move of the season. You see so many guys on social media just ripping Kevin Cash over it now. Like Steven Stamkos, I think, tweeted stuff out. Uh, Marcus Stroman, you know, Trevor Bauer, big, big MLB guys. And uh, you hate to see it because in the World Series, it's game six. You want the best against the best. And Snell was taken out too early. I think, you know, in, in the Dodgers dugout, you know, they're, they're frustrated, obviously. They can't hit anything against Snell. And they're like, oh, no, we're going we're gonna to have to face uh, a Game 7 situation here. But then Kevin Cash comes out, and he takes him out. And then all of a sudden, there's life in the Dodgers dugout, and they just went off of that, and they just dominated. You know, Betts hit a home run late in the game, too. And, yeah, it's, it sucks for the Rays. Um, but I guess you got to look at the Dodgers and, and what they've been able to do here. You know, they've been knock, knocking at the door for the past, you know, four years, um, especially, you know, making it to the World Series three out of the four years. Uh, Clayton Kershaw. I thought he should have won MVP at a phenomenal series, uh, 11 innings, only two earned runs. Um, I mean, he deserves it more than anyone. Dave Roberts, you know, everybody was questioning his uh, job security if they had lost this series. Um, uh, Kenley Jansen has also been on the Dodgers for, for a while, so he's finally won the championship now. So, I mean, you got to give credit to the Dodgers. They've been, you know, wanting this World Series for a long, long time, and they they were going to get it eventually, and it's, uh, it's, it was a great team. The Dodgers were the most complete team in the MLB, so shout-out to them. They deserve it, and uh, they're going to be good for many, many years to come because they have Mookie Betts for the next 12 years. Yeah, that's quite the contract. Uh, I wonder if the decision to pull cash was to potentially have him be able to pitch in a game, game seven. That's, that's the only thing that I was thinking too, Connor, but 72 pitches – and I don't know if, if he's going to be ready for, for like t- today's game, right? There's no day off. And he already threw 72 pitches the game before. Like, that's not how Tampa Bay has worked their pitching in the past, at least. They're so confident in their bullpen. And that's why Cash was so confident in moving out Snell when he did. He thought their bullpen would come in and just shut the door. But they collapsed at the worst possible time. I think, you know, if you're looking at a possible game seven now, it would be Walker Bueller for the Dodgers against Charlie Morton for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. And I think they were fairly, very confident that Morton could give them, you know, six plus innings in that game. Cause he's been amazing in, in game seven situations um, in throughout his whole career, really going back to his days with the Astros. Um, and then they're, like I said, very confident in the bullpen. 
So I don't, I just don't understand. I don't think there was any chance they would go with Snell today. Maybe if it went to extra innings, potentially. The move just makes no sense to me. And you hate to see it end like that. I wanted, I wanted the best of the Rays against the best of the Dodgers, and we didn't get that last night. Very, very fair. Luke, do you have anything you want to add to the whole World Series thing before I ask our final question on baseball before we take a break and jump to hockey? No, I think, I think Aiden's covered that pretty well. <laughs> All right. Uh, my final question before we go to break. You are the MLB. What is the punishment for Justin Turner and the Dodgers? That's uh, so hard to say right now, honestly. Yeah. It's like, we don't know what the MLB is thinking. Like, we don't know what actually happened, right? <laughs> we don't know. We don't assuming, know assuming like Turner is, because just from, from, I think, our standpoint, at least from my standpoint, I would say Turner is, it sounds like he, he, he forced it. Like, he, he made that happen. Um, not to say, you know, the Dodgers aren't responsible for their own player. But um, like I said earlier, I just hope, I, I couldn't even ballpark a punishment, but I just hope whatever the punishment is, um, if if that was all Turner's doing, I just I hope that's realized, and I I assume it would be. The reason I, think I it, ask you this, sorry to cut you off, Aiden, is Steve Dangle just tweeted, uh, and mm-hmm. I thought it was initially, oh, they've already announced the punishment, but it was just the tweet that I had read earlier, and he asked, what do you think the punishment will be? Uh, his theory is or he says he shouldn't play baseball in 2021 minimum of a six digit personal fine and a seven digit team fine. Wow. That's a lot. Uh huh. I don't know if he should get, I think he should definitely get fined. I don't know about the suspension in terms of, in terms of games, but it's, it's too soon to say, I think. Because I think it's, it's such a personal matter. Like it's, it didn't really, like in the context of everything, obviously it was involved with baseball, but the actual offense was a very personal, mm-hmm. um, you know, baseball exclusive offense. So I, I don't really know, you know, what that what that would mean. But obviously the MLB has, you know, they have the they're in the position to to um, enforce a a league like a suspension punishment. But um, yeah, like like Aiden said find for sure um it'll be interesting to see if if the team you know what kind of punishment the team gets but um it's it's a very different uh it's a very different case because again it, you know it was for like first of all the covid pandemic is brings a lot of unique um issues to the world of sports in the first place but for him to 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 break the rules in relation to covid not in relation to something happening on the field I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know where, where the line on punishments are there. Here is what I think you should get just to drill the point home. A game for every person you put at risk. Get that out of the way. And a $227,000 fine to represent every single person killed by COVID or who has died from COVID. Really drive that point home that, he put a lot of people at risk home or at risk home at risk. And he's got to have some serious repercussions because what's to stop somebody from doing that in the middle of next season. 
I think the thing with where I'm at is that Turner should be fined for, you know, coming back onto the field during the celebration. That was totally unnecessary. You can't really blame the MLB for that. You know, I think that was Turner's doing. But the fact that he stayed in for four more innings after the MLB found out that he was tested positive isn't really Turner's fault, I think. That's a good point. Right? So I think the MLB... The MLB needs to. The MLB needs to get fined. <laughs> like that it was their doing, or the Dodgers, right? It could have been the Dodgers. Okay. Who, uh, I let don't me, know. I don't let know. Let me rephrase that. Uh, the number of people he interacted with and put at risk after the game. Yeah, they, yeah, I like the idea. Yeah. Control. Really try to drive home that point. Uh, but we're about to run out of time on this call. Uh, so we're gonna talk PWHPA and their huge announcement that happened over the past week and the interview that uh, Steve Dangle podcast did with Liz Knox. And we will talk all of the NHL stuff, including how just absolutely screwed the Vancouver Canucks are next off season. So we'll be right back. All right. And we are back. We're going to try to finish everything. On, we're not going to try We are going to finish everything on this last zoom call. Uh, so we're going to fire through some stuff really quick, uh, starting with, the massive announcement out of the PWHPA. Uh, they have announced that they have partnered with Spirit Deodorant uh, for a million dollars, which will be given, put into the Dream Gap Tour for 2021. Uh, it will help pay for marketing, operating costs, uh, and add a significant amount of money to a purse, which the winning team will walk away with after their games. So, I'm just going to run through quickly. Liz Knox appeared on the Steve Dangle podcast, and then I'll get your thoughts on this. Basically everything I just sort of run through afterwards, but actually let's do the deodorant first and we'll start with the Liz uh, Knox stuff because she doesn't just focus on the deodorant deal, uh, the sponsorship deal. So what do you two think about this agreement between um, between secret and the PWHPA. Do you think this is a really good sign? Do you think that Secret's putting too much money in? Do you think that the PWHPA aren't smart for taking this money? Where do you sort of stand on this giant, giant deal? Um, I don't, I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest. Uh, it's kind of surprising how they partnered with a deodorant company. Uh, a million bucks, like... I don't think it's going to be anything game-changing, to be honest. Um, like, yeah, some of the money you put in the dock, yeah, operating costs, marketing, it's going to help for sure. I just don't see it being that big of a thing. And, like, do we know how long the partnership is for as well? Uh, I think this is that amount is just for next season. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure if it's going to be anything too big in the long run. I think, um, like from a from a financial standpoint, obviously, I I don't think it's a, uh, it's it's bad per se. Um, I I would yeah, I'd maybe agree with Aiden to, uh, to a point. You know, it's uh, it's it's a million dollars, right? For for a league like this, obviously, it's going to help. Um, but I think I think the most important take home is that. It, it is kind of a sign in, in the right direction that, that, that this league and, and the organization can kind of 
um, you know, move forward in, in establishing themselves and like deservedly. So, uh, this is, this is a very real transaction. Um, it, I think it's, it's really good to see that, that there are, there are, um, other, other like external organizations that, that take this seriously and take it like a business and, you know, putting, putting this kind of money and, and it's, it's kind of, you know, put putting they've in a way they've put their money where I don't know if their mouth is, but a lot of people are talking about this and it's, it's, it's just nice to see that, that something's starting to come of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is immediately following the, NWHL announcement, which we talked about last week uh, in, I'd say, a fair bit of detail. So you can go back and listen to that. But I think we should dive into the Liz Knox interview on the Steve Dangle podcast because this was incredibly illuminating. And if you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. It's She said some pretty big things and hinted at some stuff, which I definitely want to talk about. Uh, but started off basically saying they don't know what the year has to offer. Uh, they do have a plan, but obviously we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, they've explored a bubble, which that's pretty big. Uh, so there would be a good chunk of players who wouldn't be able to do that because they have full-time jobs. She, Liz Knox, is one of them. But it's still a big move. Uh, their biggest thing is they're hopeful they can get ice in the new year. Uh, but with COVID, we don't really know what's going to happen. Um, she mentioned that last year, the NHL partnered events were amazing. Uh, even though like she couldn't go, I think they were sounded very, very positive. Uh, the franchises really liked it. I believe they went to Arizona and Chicago were two of the team, two of the team cities they went to. Um, and that's sort of an avenue that they want to continue to flourish and nurture and just sort of that kind of, environment and those teams love the idea of having a female affiliated club um so it's no secret that the and or the pwhpa their ultimate goal is to be the equivalent of the wnba to the nba that's their final goal and she basically stated that outright on this podcast um she also mentioned that they're looking into some broadcasting which is big because I think last year they were only on YouTube and she said she can't say too much, but it's definitely on the radar. And Steve Dangle was hinting towards something big coming. Wow. So I have a feeling this is personal belief there. I have no facts behind this. I think there's going to be a broadcasting deal between Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Sportsnet and the PWHPA fairly soon. Because you're gonna shut that down right now. <laughs> Can't say anything. <laughs> because Sportsnet did broadcast the CWHL games, and a lot of the PWHPA are made up of former CWHL players. So the relationships there. Add in the need for content filler with the pandemic, the positive PR 
Yeah, you're right. I think we're getting close to that. I I don't think it'll be through Twitch. Should make that clear immediately because the NWHL already do stuff through Twitch, and I don't think the PWHPA would do that. I think this would either be another streaming service or a television service. Where does the WNBA broadcast their games? I think it's TSN and ESPN. ESPN, okay, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but I don't think ESPN does hockey. I could see something on like the Sportsnet app as well, or like Sportsnet.ca. Sportsnet 360? Sportsnet World? Yeah. Yeah. I think we have a deal with Sportsnet inching closer. Mm-hmm. Because... Well, I, think the, I think the fact that Dangle kind of brought it up also is enticing, right? So Yeah. Yeah. He knows something. He definitely knows something. And you could tell on the podcast, he knew something and was trying to get it out of her, but he couldn't. Um, so I think that's incredibly interesting. I think that's something we're going to talk about in potentially the next few weeks. Um, another thing we're going to talk about potentially in the next few weeks is merchandise. Uh, they are working towards it. Hopefully the next couple months, I believe they released some t-shirts and stuff yesterday or a couple days ago. So maybe that's the initial release, but I think there's more coming. She said, hopefully with names on the back of shirts. So right now they don't have that, but that would be huge. Uh, and finally, we're jumping back to the investment sort of side of things. She said the nice thing about the secret investment coming out like right now is that other sponsors are now looking at this like the bar has just now been set. And like they are looking at how they can step up. How do they show that they're equally invested in women's hockey as secret? Which... She said she's sure this won't be the last big announcement by the PA. And I could see other deals coming up pretty soon, but I don't know if you have anything either of you want to add. Luke, if you have any insider information from Sportsnet, that'd be great. Um, Fortunately, no. It's unfortunate. Nah. Yeah. We haven't been lucky enough to have any breaking news on here before <laughs> we weren't we didn't get kyle cushman at the exact right time uh, when he yeah. broke the joe thornton story but yeah it's the pwhpa are in a good spot and i think we're inching closer and closer to some sort of merger between the pwhpa the nwhl and the nhl personally i just it feels like it's going in that direction it just needs the nhl to have the money to do it which nobody does. So that's a problem. But let's talk about the NHL. And we're going to do, because we don't have much time, we're going to quickly do that little quick fire thing Aiden and I did uh, just the week after free agency. But instead of having him expand on every single player, which made it unbearably long, you only have one word. Good, bad, okay. meh. Okay. Or meh. Oh, meh. that's so tough. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to start with Connor Brown signing a three-year, $3.6 million extension with the Ottawa Senators. Aiden, we'll start with you. I'm going to say good. (laughs) Good. Meh. 
That guy was a fourth line player on the Leafs, and he's getting three point six per. But it's Ottawa. Ottawa can do it. Yeah, yeah, it is Ottawa. Ottawa can do it, but come on. Hey, it's just one word answers, man. (laughs) (laughs) Jake, uh, we got to add a little bit to the end of it. Jake (laughs) Vertanen, two year, two point five five per with the Canucks. Uh, Luke, we'll let you go a little bit more in depth on this because it's a Canucks player. But good, bad, meh. Good. Uh, Jake Vertanen can put up 50 points in a full season. I would call that right now. Um, the only issue I have for some reason, Vertanen and Canucks management never seem to get along. I don't know why, but they keep bringing him back. So they see something there. He's a good player. He's not a sixth overall player. I don't think, I think everyone needs to drop their expectations that he's going to play as a sixth overall player. He's not. Two, 2.55 million for two years. I'm very happy with that. Yeah. I yeah, trust right. Luke. I'll say good. <laughs> <laughs> I trust Luke as well. So we'll go good as well. Um, Dar- Darian. Dennis Gurianov, two times 2.55 per. I believe this is with the stars. Yeah. I'm going to say great if I can say that. All right. <laughs> I'd keep it at good, I think. Keep it at good. Okay. All right. Good as well. Travis Dermott, one year, $874,125 with the Leafs. Good. Good. Great. (laughs) I'm doing this just to bother Aiden, by the way. He doesn't like Travis Dermott at all. (laughs) I like the contract, though. Like, to get him for that cheap, like, you can't really complain. But I still think he's going to get traded at some point. Not, Not this year, but definitely soon. We'll see. Josh Levo, former Leaf and Vancouver Canuck, signed a one-year, $875,000 deal with the Calgary Canucks. <laughs> good. If his knee holds up, good. <laughs> good. Um, Sam Reinhart, one-year, $5.2 million, settled with Buffalo. I think that's a good deal. Because it's only because it's Buffalo, I think that's good. Same thing with Ottawa. Like because it was Ottawa, I'm fine with Connor Brown because it's Buffalo and the space they have, I think that's fine. Meh. Because he's playing next to Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel, and he's going to cost them a small fortune next summer. <laughs> that's true. Linus Hallmark, one year, two point six per well, for the one year with Buffalo. Meh. Or bad. It's one year. Or bad. I, one year contracts, I, I never really like to call bad. True. Um, I wouldn't say it's good. I, yeah, I'd say meh. Chris Tierney, two year, 3.5 per with the Sens. Meh. Meh. We'll skip over the next one because we're going to talk about him a little bit. Tyler Bertuzzi, 3.5 awarded by Arbitrator, one year. Good. In between meh and good. Again, it's only one year, so I, and it's Detroit, so I don't really have a problem with it. So mud. Yeah, <laughs> mud. Mud. Yeah. Mud, yeah. <laughs> uh, or and no, mood. 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 Yeah. Mood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and finally, Alex Galchenyuk, one year, one point zero five with the Sens. That's good. I think. Good. Yeah. Good. Uh, I'll say this now, actually, before we 
talk Devin Taves because the Staff and Graph podcast, which they're back, by the way. They, I say they. We released our first episode this morning. Uh, it took six hours of editing, which was a lot of work. Um, so that is up. It is now Rachel Dory and Mike Stevens hosting it. So go and check that episode out, please. And yeah, please. Um, let's finish the players on Devin Taves, who was acquired by Colorado for two second round picks being sent to the New York Islanders. He then signed a four-year, 4.1 per with the Avs. Good, bad, meh. And we're going to do not just the signing, but the trade too. So two of them. I think the trade was good, if not great. And then I think the signing is also good. Yeah, I I would agree with both of those. Um, Colorado, like, yeah. they're... They're everything they do seems to be smart. I don't know. Yeah. Their back end is just disgusting. I didn't yeah. think they could make their team any better, but Joe Sackick proved me wrong. Like yeah. Taves and then who knows, like, are they gonna add someone else to their forward core? Like I thought they were really... gonna get Hall. I was almost certain they were gonna get Hall. That would have yeah. been scary. I think From... they could use like one more winger dare I say, and then they're set. Like they, they already have a ton of them, but I think they could use like another top six winger and they're like really, really good. They need one other thing. Goalie. Yeah. Philip Grubauer ain't a starter. He's not a ah. he's not a one. He's a one B, one A one B situation. And they're not getting that out of Pavel Francouz, who nobody had heard about going into last season. I think they have a decent tandem there, to be honest. I think Grubauer, I don't think he's a, maybe he's not a 1A yet, but I think he can turn into that. Like, he put up great numbers last year. So, I think I think he's good. I think he's good enough, at least. And then, um, like, you got to remember that the Avs had Michael Hutchison as their goalie in the playoffs. Grubauer was not healthy for the playoffs. Francis was not healthy for the playoffs. So, I think if... If if Grubauer is healthy, maybe they get by Dallas. Maybe they make it to the Cup final. So I think Grubauer is a little bit underrated, to be honest. I, and I think you know for the price that they're getting him at too, it's really really good. All right, and that's pretty much all the signing stuff we want to do. We do want to mention and sort of I wanted to dive into a bit because we are Cal- uh, Vancouver Canucks. I almost called them Cal- Calgary Canucks again. Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> fan here uh, again um, specifically around Vancouver's cap situation which this is probably putting it nicely is not good it's extra not good <laughs> next summer they have Elias Pettersson they have J- uh, Jack Quinn Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Tempico all expiring Right now, they're over the cap. What do they do next offseason? Because they don't, the biggest money they have coming off the books is their best, well, one of their best defensemen in Alex Edler, Brandon Sutter, which that's good, Tanner Pearson, and Sven Berchi. Oh, and Jordy Ben, because somehow he's getting paid two million bucks. Yep. 
and Braden Holtby might go to Seattle. Yeah. So, well, the Holtby thing is interesting because signing him to two years almost opens an opportunity for because, like, look, if you if you're keeping Demko, he's gonna get paid. He's gonna. I would I would assume these this past playoffs he's not going to be like that all the time but i i assume that he's shown there he can be a starter maybe not next year probably the year after regardless demko is going to get paid they've signed holtby to two years i've kind of thought of this recently does letting demko go solve that cap problem it would uh is that the route you want to go i certainly hope not regardless um yeah you said it there Pedersen, Hughes, Demko those are the three that I care about I I love Alex Edler I he's the last after Tanov just left he is the last player remaining from the 2011 run I don't know how they keep him around unless he takes a massive discount which for his sake I hope he doesn't so he's probably gone regardless Cap Friendly projects them having just under $25 million in space for next year. $25 million, it, that's going to change, obviously. Things are going to happen. Benning's going to hopefully prepare for next offseason. Even then, $25 million is not enough to sign Hughes, Pedersen, and Demko. It's not. It's getting there, but it's, it's not enough to, to sign all three of them. Really? I think it is. I do not. I, I think Pedersen... And I mean, excluding any nifty contract work, I think Pedersen 11. I think Hughes close to 9 or 10. Wow. And Demko, Demko, I don't even want to kind of guess the number because I like I need to see this year. Um and again, like, I don't know what term would be, but I'm just saying in general, that's right. what I would say. Um, so yeah, 25 million is close. I don't think it's enough the to issue, keep all of them. The, yeah, the issue with the 25 million is you also have to sign replacements for Brandon Sutter, for Tanner Pearson, for Sven yeah. Berchi, for Alex Edler, and for Jordy Ben. So I think Edler and Ben, I think the defense can be replaced with um with players in the system benning's already kind of said they're going to go that route this year even if like he thinks he, he claims they're ready i don't know i i don't think so but he says that's what they're gonna they're gonna go he's pretty explicitly said the young defense are gonna play uh on forwards like again i i'd be okay with with replacing those guys with with people who you're paying very little, if it means you are locking down Pedersen, Hughes, Demko long-term, like it's, it's not the best solution. It's not at all, but it's the position that Jim Benning has put himself in. So, and I, and I've, I've said this um, on take to take, and I I've said the way Benning has handled this off season, I think has been really, really good. I am very happy with how he's handled this off season. He not, you know, he's, he, he backed away from OEL. He let Tanev walk. He let Markstrom walk. They signed for a lot more money than I would have wanted Benning to sign them for. I'm okay with that. That is not to say Benning's a good GM because Benning was put in that position 
to have to let those guys walk because of signings he made. So yes, he had a good off season. He's, he's had a good off season so far and he's made a lot of decisions or non-decisions, but he has put himself in the position that they're in now. So yeah. I'm kind of torn on him because he seems to kind of be smartening up, but I also think he doesn't have a choice. Like I, I like to think, wow, good, good on him for letting Tanev and Markstrom walk. But I also think what else was he going to do? He didn't have a choice and it's his fault. He doesn't have a choice. So I don't know. I wonder if the solution comes from Seattle and putting Michael Furland on LTIR. Yeah. I, I mean, Michael Furland is like, it's, that's just, that's such a sucky situation to see. It just from, from all perspectives, like, him as a player, him personally, the team, like it's, that just sucks. Um, Seattle, like, yeah, you bring up a good point with Seattle. I think the one stroke of luck in all this is that this is happening at the same time Seattle's entering the league. So I don't know. I would hope something happens with the goalies there. Um, the, The Holtby signing just in itself, I was pretty happy with. He had, yeah, he had one bad year, but a two-year term is fine and the money is fine. And again, like Demko, I think he's proven he can be that goalie that he was or close to that he was in these playoffs. Um, I don't know if he's there yet. I'm very glad that Benning brought Holtby in because choosing to ride Demko um, after a three, after a three game, very strong three games, but after a three game stretch, I'm, I'm happy that, that he chose that route. I didn't expect Holtby specifically, but I mean, it is what it is. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. But I mean, just in general, they're, they're in a terrible spot. Um, Benning has mostly put them in that spot. And I don't know if he can, if he can get them out of it. I, Obviously, his priorities are going to be keeping Pedersen and Hughes and to a lesser extent, but still a pretty high extent, Demko. But I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting whenever, whenever that offseason is. The good things are Quinn Hughes is ineligible for an offer sheet. Yeah. So. And Thatcher Demko has RFA rights or arbitration rights. So you could theoretically walk away, walk away from the number that they decide in arbitration. Yeah, I wonder if you swing a deal with Seattle with one of your good young prospects like an Ole Ulevi or a Jet Wu to take on the contract of Louis Erickson. If, yes, if, if theoretically you lose Jet Wu or Ulevi to, to Seattle or whatever, um, for them to take on Erickson, absolutely. I don't know if they would. Um, because to be honest, Erickson's, uh, I'm just, I'm looking at the cap friendly now. When's he up? 22? 2022, 2023. He's a okay, so How much is he making? Then I thought six, six. million. <laughs> wow. Oh man. It's only I, one more year. I feel well, like maybe it's only a first round ago, pick. So that like, yeah, I, if, if they could do that, absolutely. I'd be okay with that. Um, you think they'll trade Besser? 
I think if they were going to trade Besser, it would have happened already. You're so yeah. mean, Aiden. <laughs> I think I think it was I think it was to follow your mean? Besser, and <laughs> they kept Besser. Thank goodness. Very very true. Uh, we're down to ten minutes on the call, um, and we have to get through a pretty crappy situation in the Mitchell Miller stuff. Um, basically, I don't really know how much we need to comment on this, but. Mitchell Miller bullied. Uh, they say it's bullying. It's more than that. He bullied a black developmentally challenged classmate named Isaiah. Uh, named Isaiah. I won't say his last name just for his privacy, um, but it is available online if you want to find it. He basically bullied him for years, which culminated in he... Uh, and Miller and another classmate facing criminal charges uh, because of one of the acts that they did, which was absolutely horrific and disgusting and just unexplainable how they thought on any planet that was okay. Uh, he was convicted for it and it was caught on security footage, but the security footage has stayed private because of the request of the family. Um, but they admitted guilt because of this. He had, was sentenced to 25 hours of community service uh, and to write an apology uh, to Isaiah and his family. But since then, according to his mother, he has never personally apologized. Uh, in a, the other person involved, he, the mother says he broke down in tears as he was reading the apology. And it doesn't show that Mitchell Miller has A, any sort of respect, uh, first of all. B, any sort of acceptance or realization, I guess, that this was incredibly messed up. And I would like to use different language, but we try not to swear a ton on this podcast. Um, he was the Coyotes' first pick in this draft, fourth round. He's got a, I believe, a scholarship to UMC, I believe. I might have the school wrong, but. The bottom line is the team knew about this and everybody knew about this and a lot of teams passed on him because of this, but Arizona didn't. So I hope he never makes it to the NHL because he hasn't shown that he's changed. Uh, he hasn't shown that he's remorseful. He hasn't shown anything and I don't think he deserves to be successful when he's when he is willing to do that and when he has done things like this in his past, personally. I don't know if either of you want to add anything before I mention the quick Terrence Davis update and then we do our hot takes as quickly as possible. But do either of you have any sort of thoughts on Mitchell Miller? I think it's just a messed up situation. And yeah, I agree with Connor. Um, I mean, I'm not really one to just completely rule out a person. Like, I always think someone can change, but 
I don't know. It's tough to see the light, I guess, right now. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting as to why even the Coyotes drafted him when they knew what was up. So, yeah, I don't know. There's, a, like, there's questions everywhere about this. There's so many – there's just so much wrong with the situation. Um, and it just – it's terrible to see, like, that – that it happened in the first place, of course, and then that that it's kind of continued up until this point. And um, yeah, like you said, Connor, th- this isn't necessarily um, news right now. Like this is this has been known, uh, and and you know still drafted. And it's yeah, it's just it's horrible to see. So it's disappointing. Is. A very light way of putting it, I'd say. Uh, similarly, very disappointing what is now coming out about Terrence Davis. And he's facing, according to Rick Westhead and the legal documents, seven charges, including two counts of assault, harassment, endangering the welfare of a child, and criminal mischief. So this doesn't look very good for him. And his court date is set for December 11th, uh, or his next court date. But We'll wrap up on something a little bit more positive, which we're always wrong about, our hot takes. We'll do this really quickly before we jump out of here so we don't have to make another Zoom call. Um, Do either of you have one prepared? Yes. Uh, I'll go football-related. Got to show the Detroit Lions a little bit of love here. Um, I don't know if this is really a hot take. I think it's like there's a good chance this happens. I think the Lions finish eight and eight on the year they're three and three right now they started the season one and three i think a lot of people had them going like four and 12 i think they're going to finish eight and eight they're just going to miss out on the playoffs but here's the hot take they decide to keep matt patricia they don't fire their head coach they keep matt patricia after all of this all after everything that that's been going on this year and all the talk about him being fired they're going to keep him for another year haven't you predicted that he'll both be fired and he will stay now? Yeah, I think I think a couple of weeks ago my hot take was he's fired before the trade deadline, but that that that's not working out. They they've won the, the their last two games, and the trade deadline is sneaking up, and I don't think they're gonna fire him before the deadline now. All right, Luke, what is your hot take? This upcoming NHL season, whenever that is. The Ottawa Senators make the playoffs. The Calgary Flames do not. (laughs) (laughs) What? I can feel the heat from here. I don't even think... It's hot. I don't think it's that hot. I think... Like, I could see Calgary miss... That's a hot take. I could see Calgary... It depends on the divisions, too, right? But I think Calgary could miss the playoffs. But... I don't think Ottawa's going to make the playoffs. That's the hot take. I, I agree with the Calgary thing. But not the Ottawa. Watch, watch. Ottawa is a bottom five team in the NHL, personally. But my hot take, uh, I think, what's his name again? I've forgotten who he is. That's how irrelevant he is. Justin Turner. I think the MLB completely misses on the punishment, and it becomes an even bigger issue, the punishment, than what he did. Well, that's probably not a hot take because that always happens in baseball. (laughs) (laughs) But with that, (laughs) balanced out hot takes from Luke and me. Um, 
We thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Hopefully, we're live on Spirit Live. Yeah. If you want to watch the show, go there. We're live every Wednesday from 3 to 4. Luke, thank you for joining us. We truly, you, truly appreciate you taking the past like four hours of your day. <laughs> really? three, oh, three, three hours, hours, three hours. Of your day um, to record with us and tell your story, I yeah. guess. Uh, it's been a ton of fun. You're an ex- excellent storyteller and that might be the hottest take we will ever have. Um, <laughs> yeah, we will link all of Luke's stuff down below in the description of the YouTube video. So go check out all of his stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week. Thank you for watching. Follow me on Twitter at CWG Somerville. Follow Aiden at? Aiden Silifant. Are you using and, Twitter yet? No, no. Instagram. Sorry, Instagram. Instagram. All right. He said he would start, at, he'd start using his Twitter again. Last <laughs> I week might, I might. Yeah. Uh, but yes, thank you for listening. We'll stop rambling and we'll take off. We'll see you next week. Peace.